Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the fifth chapter of St. Matthew with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Each week during confirmation, your pastors ask our confirmands to complete a series of sermon notes. On these little half sheets of paper, they're asked to do what we hope many of you are already doing during worship, to identify the appointed readings for the day, to make note of which lesson our sermon is based off of, to listen to the hymns and meditate on them, and then finally, to put the sermon under a critical lens and to answer two simple questions. First, what is the law of this message? Meaning, what is God's command? What is a sin that I have committed being disobedient to that command? Or what is the consequence of my sinful behavior? This leads to the second question then. What is the gospel of this message? How does God demonstrate his forgiveness to me? What is God doing for me? Reflecting on our gospel reading for this morning, dear friends... Which of those two questions would you say might be the easier one to answer? Yeah, that that first one, the law question. So much so that you might even have trouble finding the gospel, the good news, in our gospel lesson. For when Jesus teaches about the law here in Matthew chapter 5, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? He lays down the gauntlet elaborating on the familiar words of the Ten Commandments in such a way as to set a bar that is so high that any honest reader must confess that he or she could never hope to clear it. You shall not murder, Jesus says. Okay, that one's pretty easy for most of us. I've, I've never taken a life, so I must be in the clear. But, Jesus continues, but, I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever so much as says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, okay, Jesus, um, just give me a minute here. I'm going to go delete my Facebook account where I regularly cut down, belittle, or post incendiary articles aimed at those people whose views are different than mine, and then... I think we're going to be copacetic. I should be just fine. Oh, but be reconciled to your brother. But Jesus, he started it. He's the one pointing fingers. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Really? But I want to see the look on his face when the judge levels swift justice against him. Okay, maybe I see your point. The fifth commandment is a bust. But... You know, I do pretty good at keeping the other ones. What about the next one? You shall not commit adultery. Can do. 
20 years of marriage, never so much as a peck on the cheek for anyone but my one and only. Boom. Nailed it. Jesus continues, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wait a minute. So, so even a wandering glance at a low-cut top or scrolling down the Instagram to see my coworker's new yoga pants? I mean, come on. I'm only human, Jesus. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now we're talking serious. That's a tall order, Jesus. Don't I even get bonus points for all the times where I have kept the commandment? After all, I'm making my second marriage stick pretty nicely. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, point taken. I have utterly failed to keep the sixth commandment. Well, you shall not swear falsely, says the law, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Oh, finally, a softball. My word is my bond. Mr. Honesty, that's me. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or even by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Well, now, wait a minute. How will people ever know that my guarantee is serious unless I take these oaths? Or, more importantly, Jesus, how will I know that their guarantee is serious? Is it really so wrong for me to want a little insurance when it comes to these kind of dealings? Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything else comes from evil. So then my word has to be good 100% of the time, even on those days where I'm staring down a schedule packed to the brim, even when I have to under-deliver just a little bit in order to meet a really harsh deadline, or what about those times when, well, point taken. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus spells out the letter of the law, and it's a lot of letters more than any of us could ever hope to fulfill, which brings us back to our central question for today. What exactly is the good news of this gospel reading? It seems like here Jesus does nothing but drop command on command on us, show us how we could never in a million years hope to keep them, and then, well, we don't know because that's where today's lesson ends. In order to mine the gospel of this particular reading, a little context is going to help us out in a big way. Some of you might have noticed that this text comes straight out of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, a three-chapter-long segment in Matthew's gospel, which compiles much of what Jesus taught to his disciples. The Beatitudes, the Law, the Lord's Prayer, good works, the Kingdom of God, the Golden Rule, the authority of Jesus... All of these things come out of or are exposited in the Sermon of the Mount. 
<clears throat> because of the sheer breadth of Jesus' teaching in this passage of Scripture, it can be difficult to read any one part of it in a vacuum as we're doing this morning. In fact, if we don't take the proper time to open the Scriptures and see the big picture, well, then we end up doing ourselves a disservice when it comes time for us to interpret what it is that Jesus is telling us. What do I mean? Well, in the passage immediately preceding today's lesson, Jesus famously says these words, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Yes, Jesus came to satisfy in totality God's law to its letter. And why? Well, that's where we get the context for our reading today. Because we are totally unable to fulfill the law on our own. Here Jesus is exercising what our confirmands are learning is the second use of the law. He is showing us our sin in order that we would clearly see our fallenness and then come to his mercy seat for absolution. This absolution he offers freely in his church through the gifts which we witness today. The gift of baptism, the Holy Eucharist, the service of confession. Therefore, dear friends, though you hear him in the law and you see clearly your inability to obey, still your heart need not be troubled in regards to your salvation. For these things reveal to us plainly how on Calvary's cross this Jesus, who fulfilled the law perfectly for you, has also shed his blood in order to pay your debt of sin. In so doing, he has made us what we could never be on our own. We are made to be God's own people, washed in the blood of Christ, forgiven our trespasses, and set apart for good works and humble obedience. This, dear brothers and sisters, is ultimately who this reading and the whole of the Sermon of the Mount is for. These are lessons for God's people. These are lessons for those who have been baptized into his name. Those who fear, love, and trust, not in man, but in God, above all things. St. <clears throat> Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Have any of you broken one of God's commands? Have you been a liar or a slanderer or a thief or an adulterer or a murderer? Put away these things. For on the cross, Christ Jesus has removed them from you and he has now called you his very own. Reconciling you to your Father in heaven, he also calls you now to be ministers of reconciliation. So what does this mean? Think for a moment as we ask our confirmands to do on the consequences of your sins. Who have you wronged? Who have you harmed? Who have you insulted 
And who have you failed? Who has done these things to you? For we are, all of us, guilty of sinning against our neighbor. Even as we are forgiven in Christ, he calls us by his Holy Spirit to seek out these neighbors who we have wronged and who have wronged us and to witness his forgiveness to them. Be reconciled. Live as those made new in Christ Jesus. Do not hear the gospel this day and rejoice but for a moment and then return to your houses, your jobs, your education, Monday through Saturday, living as though you still live under the weight of that sin. Rather, do as we heard this morning, where Jesus said, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Dear friends, the law of God tells you that you were once all prisoners because of your sin. Why then would you ever want to live that way any longer, as though you were still shackled by your sinful disobedience? You have been set free in Christ. You are free to live in works of righteousness, for Christ is righteous for you. You are free to be reconciled to one another, for by the shedding of his blood, Christ has reconciled you to your Father in heaven. You are free to help and serve each other, for on that same cross, Christ gave his life to help and serve you. Let not the burden of your former transgressions keep you from the newness which has been worked in you by your baptismal identity, by your Lord and Savior. Live instead as his redeemed children, purchased and won from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, by him who loved you, him who has graciously fulfilled all righteousness in your stead. In his most mighty name, Amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.